Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. I've been speaking about first things, a series about putting our kingdom values into practice. If I would title this part of the series, First Things, What Tops Your List, I would subtitle this one very simply, How to Succeed. How to Succeed. The series is you that have been a part, and if you're unfamiliar with some of the things that I share right now, you can go back in the history uh, via our website or with the uh, podcast or with the YouTube and get the basis. But with founding this series on three festivals that the Lord required every year from Israel. Early in the year was the feast of the Passover that extended into unleavened bread. That was symbolized deliverance. And that took place in the early spring, March or April. We're about to celebrate that period of time here with the Easter season. And then the second festival the Lord required was the first fruits or the harvest festival, sometimes called the festival of Pentecost. And it had to do with inheritance. The Lord says, here's your land. This is what I've provided for you. It's a celebration of being in Canaan. And and that would take place in May or June. And then later on in the year, the final festival is that of ingathering, when all the fields are clear, all the harvest has been gleaned, and all the bountiful blessings of the Lord are realized and brought into the storehouses. That would take place in September, October. I feel like in my understanding as we've worked through all of this and found the principles in this a series of feasts and recognize how they apply to us as disciples today that it explains the disciples activity and purpose after we're delivered and until we get the fullness of end time blessing what happens in the middle in that first fruits season or if you will spiritually and developmentally from May until October One of the things that we might struggle with when we talk about the season and inheritance in Canaan land is is what is inheritance? What do we expect for inheritance? Our, Our first thoughts of an inheritance is likely, well, free stuff. We think of a a big check in the bank. Or or maybe, you know what, a beautiful furnished home to live in. We can think about inheritance as immediately enjoyable benefits. And our idea, if you will, of inheritance might look more like the ingathering and what comes at the end than what it really is in the middle. But there's a difference. We might think, you know what, inheritance means I'm going to inherit a big check. And if I'm thinking about the kingdom of God, what God really would say, instead of a big check, what I'm going to give you is a business. And if you operate that business, it will develop income. 
We think, you know what, I'll inherit just a, a fine home that comes with a, a gardener and a chef and a cleaning staff and all I have to do is walk in and the lawn stays perfect, the temperature's always right. All I gotta do is live large in this inheritance. But what God really provides is here's the land and there's lumber on the land and with that I'll give you some bricks and some nails and some wires and some fixtures and some plans. Now that's your inheritance. Build your house. We inherit materials and we are also involved providing our own labor, if you will. From God's perspective, inheritance is more than a end time, here's the full result gift. God's inheritance involves a project. First, the Lord delivers us from Egyptian bondage. He, he sets us free from wicked taskmasters. And we celebrate Passover because of that. And there's coming a day when all the harvest and all the benefit and all the divine blessing is going to come into our lives. We'll realize it. The fullness of that. We'll celebrate the end gathering. But in between is the focus of our series. This first fruits and this harvest festival. The Lord provided Canaan land as Israel's inheritance inheritance but he gave them unfinished land before they could build on his promise there was error in the land that had to be removed there were battles to be fought there was wickedness to be overcome there were swords and shields and injuries and wounds that were involved in the inheritance the land had to be cleared before it could be farmed. And when it was cleared, the land had to be worked and it had to be sown and it had to be plowed. The new owners then had to wrestle with oxen to get the plowing done and the, the rudimentary wooden plows and farm implements of that day. And in order to live in that middle time, in that inheritance, there were early mornings and there were late nights and they were working hard from May until September, October, long, hot days, sweating, muscle aches, bruises, sore backs. And there is no question deliverance from Egypt was a divine gift and Canaan the promised land it was delivered as advertised and still every year families labored for weeks and months before they realized the harvest blessings of God fast forward to today the lives we attempt to live as delivered disciples. In recent weeks in this series, we've been sharing the meaning of, of first fruits in various areas of our lives. What, is it, what does it mean to place things first? We realize there's a lot of work that needs to be done in our inheritance. If you will, the series that we've shared thus far begins to point at various areas where all of us need to develop the land that God has given us in this promised land. We reorder our values. We reprioritize our 
actions in this new land of God. We, we add new kingdom practices that we didn't have before and we leave harmful habits behind. And, and when we're trying to do all of that and keep this farm going and keep the animals grazing, we have to keep everything safe because we have to battle these random attacks from folks that are against us. We have to face down skirmishes over our land and our property that we're trying to develop. And then the job is ongoing. As Israel worked their harvest season every year, so are you and I as disciples today regularly in the transformation process. Becoming a new man is exciting when promised in Scripture, but it doesn't happen in one night's sleep. It's a process of the old man being put away and the new man being developed to continual journey to become like Jesus Christ, the perfect human, to look to the ideal and realize there are, are things that I'm far yet falling short. Yes, there's periodic harvest. Yes, there are celebrations now and again, but the journey and our conversion continues. Even the great apostle Paul observed to the Philippian church, not that I have already attained or am already perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me even Paul remained a work in progress now I don't know about you but as I talk about all the work and all the effort and all the labor and all the protection and all the fighting, that don't sound too exciting. Candidly, it's during this middle season that you and I can get caught up in the labor involved. All the work all the effort, all the pressing. When I look at Christ the ideal and I know my real in my life, I'm, I'm so far from his glory and what he's calling me to be. And, and when we get immersed in, in this, in the now, deliverance, we're grateful for that, but it seems like it was a, a long time ago. And, and when I look toward the divine promise and what God tells me is ahead in my eternity, it seems like a long time ahead. And rather, I'm stuck in the, in the right now. There's, there's labor and there's pain and there's trouble and there's hassle and there's engagement. And, and in the middle of this, our faith, our belief, can waver and and that is the danger of life in this first things season in this middle moment between deliverance and eternal blessing someday there's a danger that my belief will fall short but you and I aren't alone in that challenge if we take time to read the letter to the Hebrews, we find that 
it addresses similar circumstances. The Hebrews were also undergoing transformation. Following Jesus was new to them. They had been following an Old Testament law, a way of doing things for hundreds of years. Passed down from generation to generation. This is the way you operate. Very restricted, very fundamental, very, are you with me? Really detailed. Whatever your details are for your job at work, the instructions, the guidelines, the expectations, multiply it exponentially to the 10th degree. That was the Old Testament law. That's what they were used to. That was their habit. Now they're following Jesus Christ. Now it's a whole different deal. And, and the scripture addresses that Christianity was messing with the order they had known their entire lives. Following Jesus was uncomfortable for them. They weren't always successful in doing it. They would hear the preaching in church and then default to what their relatives who weren't following Christ would talk about in the synagogue, was posted on social media, and think, you know what, I'll just fall into the way that I used to live. I'll just go back to what was most comfortable to me, and I'll, I'll live in that familiar territory, because this new deal, this new land, seems like a lot of work. There's a lot of plowing, and a lot of defending my ground, and a, and a lot of uh, bandits coming by, here and there. I, I can't just kick back and cruise through life like I'd like to. It ought to be easier. It ought to be simpler. And the Hebrews in that deal, they were coming to a place where they're thinking, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. You know what? Maybe, maybe we shouldn't have started this. This whole brand new thing with Jesus. Maybe we should go back to our old ways, a familiar way. And the book of Hebrews was written to that group of people thinking those kinds of thoughts that they would not go back. They would not do the wrong thing. It was written to bring comfort to their doubts, to reinforce their faith. And instead of viewing that what they were going through, the suffering, the work, the toil, the, the working, the inheritance, if you will, instead of seeing that as a reason to turn away from Jesus, Hebrews says you need to realize God has not abandoned you. Just because he's not doing everything for for you like a doting grandma doesn't mean he's not available he is here he is with you he is beside you this is still your inheritance and also that they would know the trial the things they were dealing with was developing them for the long haul so you got all these chapters in Hebrews and then you get to Hebrews chapter 11 we call it the chapter of faith. And the author goes through all of these names, all of these examples. Thank God for that chapter. He details all these individuals, what they dealt with in their inheritance and how they overcome. And then in the first chap verse of chapter 12, Hebrews 12, we read this. Therefore also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
based on the previous 11 chapters of Hebrews. Scholars agree this. I know we've heard a lot of things preached, but scholars agree this. It says there, the sin that easily besets us. Go back to verse 1. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, all of us have weaknesses. All of us have problems. All of us are susceptible to different sins. And that's not what this is talking about. Scholars agree across the board that the sin that easily ensnares us is what the previous 11 chapters of Hebrews were talking about. And it's simply this, unbelief. We stop believing. Faith falters. That's the sin that easily ensnares us. And it's intriguing because in order to get rid of doubt and get rid of unbelief, it doesn't say you need to fast for 21 days. It doesn't say you need to get together in a seven-week revival where there's church every night, be in the altar every time, and get six or eight people to gather around and pray with you in every one of those services. Then you can overcome doubt. No, the author says this. Lay it aside. Just put that foolishness aside. Just put it aside. It's a decision. It's a choice. Now look at verse number two. Here's the response. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. He's just gone through a list in Hebrews 11 of all these people that have succeeded. Thank God for that encouragement. But at the end of the day, the author says, now here's who you really need to focus on. Here's who you really need to pay attention to. As the angel said, she will bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will save his People from their sins. Paul told Timothy, this is a faithful saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The author is saying, listen, if everybody else compared, choose a name, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Sarah, it doesn't matter. Jesus is above all of the great faithful ones in Hebrews 11. Jesus is the author of our faith. He's the originator of our faith. He's the captain of our faith. As my wife started beginning this service, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. As Don said, Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I, I preach to remind us today in this middle season, in this time of following after Christ, where it may be a bit troublesome and it may be a bit wearying and it may be a bit confusing. Can I simply preach from Hebrews? Look to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the reason we know about forgiveness. He's the reason I can be forgiven and cleansed and filled with the Spirit. Jesus originated our faith. It all starts with him. And we look to him. That's how to succeed. That's how to succeed. You keep your eyes on him. Like Hebrews, we succeed 
by looking to him. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher. There's one factor, one factor that makes consistent endurance possible. That's looking to Jesus. That word looking has in its connotation, in its definition to put everything else aside. It's not looking at Jesus along with everything else. It's looking to Jesus and ignoring the rest. It's fixing your eyes, focusing on Jesus. You can't look at two things at once is what the essence of that verb is. Looking to Jesus. Why do we look to Jesus? Look at verses 3 and 4 in the same chapter of Hebrews. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Well... I don't need a show of hands, but have there been moments being weary and discouraged in our souls? Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Hmm. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. Some of us really boo-hoo ourselves, don't we? We look over our last week. We look over some engagement, some, some interaction with a co-worker, with a neighbor, with a non-believing family member. Oh, I'm just being treated so bad for my belief in Christ. It's hard. I'm being hammered. People call me names. Have you shed blood because of your battle against sin? Why do we look to Jesus? Because he suffered far more than us. And he was never guilty. He was always unjustly suffering. He endured shame, hostility, bloodshed, ultimately the cross. We fix our eyes on him because he's our premier example. His entire life was devoted to divine plan. He gave 100%. He lived completely pure. There wasn't one error in his life. And yet he suffers this pristine life, suffers senselessly and tortured. There's unjust accusations. There's, There's angry mobs spitting on him. Friends abandon him, family denies him, he's hated and maligned. Still he endures and he succeeds. He, he continued until he experienced the joy and the honor that was ahead of him. So we look to Jesus as our example. He suffered far more than any you and I have done to this point. We look to Jesus as an example. You know why I look to him? Because when I see Jesus and what he succeeded and how he lived, my problems seem so small. My gripes seem to be foolish. My issues seem to be ridiculous. I hate to mention them in the same phrase as what Christ endured. The worst day for me doesn't compare to his suffering. My worst week, my worst month or year doesn't compare to his suffering. And when I look to Jesus, my suffering seems small and I gain victory in my perspective again 
Furthermore, when I look to Jesus, I don't know about you, but my heart is broken thinking of the things he suffered for me. He suffered those for me. The love, the compassion, the commitment, his faithfulness on my behalf. If I'll take time to look to Jesus and I realize he loves me that much. He cares for me that much that he is compelled to endure such horrible things, such ridiculous things, undeserved things because of his love. There's something that motivates me about his love. And then furthermore this, his faith in you and I. He wouldn't do that if he didn't think you and I could also succeed. He wouldn't do that if he didn't believe the plan of Christ is right and real and it helps and it works every time. He endured the worst and succeeded the most and so we receive his example. And finally this, how do we succeed? How do we succeed Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Stand with me. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We fix our attention on Jesus Christ because of this. He can do what no one else can do. When I focus my sight, my attention, my awareness, my availability on Jesus Christ, he can impart and instill faith like no one else. My faith is weak, preacher. I'm feeling kind of weary and worn down. No one can supply our need for faith like Christ Jesus. Paul wrote... He that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not just the beginner, the originator, the starter of our faith. He not only stays with us as we work in this kingdom, but he is the finisher. He is the completer of our faith. When we're facing weights and sins, we look to Jesus. He's the finisher. When dealing with hindrances and hassles, we don't quit, we don't back away, we don't decide, you know what, maybe going back to Egypt is what we should do. No, 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 no. We look again and anew and afresh to Jesus Christ. How do you succeed? How do I succeed? It is so simple and yet we don't practice it enough. Look to Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our confidence is in him. Our strength is in him. Our authority is in him. Our victory is in him. We look to Jesus Christ. We're going to pray together all over this house right now. In Jude, the author writes, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. All over this house, if you know how to pray, if you know how to have a conversation, if you don't start, this is the time. Just be open and candid and real and general and general, uh, just sincere with God. Would you begin to reach out to Him, Jesus? I'm looking to you. 
Okay, we get a picture in your mind, whatever that looks like, of a Middle Eastern carpenter of his day. Jesus, my hope is in you. My trust is in you. My, I am looking wholly and completely on you, Lord Jesus. Stir up within me, oh God, my faith again, Lord. I'm allowing your spirit to stir within me again. I'm going to talk to you right now. My faith, my confidence is in you. Listen, if you've been weary, if you've been struggling, if you've been tired of the battle, if you feel like there's a lot of hassle and a lot of confusion and just too much effort has to be going into this, listen, it's not about the effort. It's not about the energy. It's about Jesus Christ. Look to him all over this house. I see some hands being raised right now. I see some moms and dads and some young ones saying, you know what, Lord, I'm focusing my life on you. I'm, I'm paying attention to you right now. Whatever that's been, whatever the challenge, put that away. Just look at Jesus Christ. This isn't looking at Jesus along with what's hassling you. It's looking at Jesus alone. It's looking at Jesus alone. He faced the worst and succeeded the most. He has the example and the understanding. He can carry each and every one of us through whatever it is that we're facing. It is Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. How do I succeed in this preacher? Stop looking at everything else and keep looking at Jesus. How do I continue on, preacher, as the Lord is calling me? Stop looking at the calling. Stop arguing about the destination. Stop discussing and what he's asking and just look to Jesus Christ my faith is in him my confidence is in him it's awesome all over this house come on talk to the Lord right now reach out to him in the name of Jesus Christ Lord we look to you we call upon you Lord we place our faith in your life I'm making myself available right now oh Lord I'm, I'm opening up my mind opening up my spirit opening up Lord the very essence I'm being transparent with you right now, Lord. If your word is true and this is right and real, I'm available right now. Minister, oh God, into my Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Conversation with God. Working through, adapting, owning the word and the move of the spirit in our lives prayer so everything else we do when we gather together like this is just a method of facilitating prayer we begin the service with pre-service prayer we come starting as early as 10:30 to just put everything else aside focus looking to Jesus that's what pre-service prayer is all about somebody opens the service it's to try to bring us into a conversation with the Lord the songs that we sing folks practice hard put a lot of time into the instruments and the voice but it's all about bringing us to a conversation with the Lord everything we do it's about a conversation with the Lord where I am available for his word and his spirit to transform me that's what prayer is all about allowing 
the transformation, being more available to the transformation. I encourage you to not just live in this moment, but to practice the name of Jesus, particularly throughout this week. Because we're still living in the middle season. Still there. And so when frustration attacks you tomorrow afternoon or Monday morning, smile great big. Look to Jesus. He will carry us through. At the height of your weakness, Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. There's a lot of other things begging for our attention. Deny those things. Turn to Jesus. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series. Or join us online at livingfaithministries.church.